You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh uh, to all our esteemed listeners out there, mashallah. Welcome to this week's uh, edition of Legal Eagle with myself, your host Ibrahim Smith, and uh, our two esteemed guests from last week. It is a continuation, so many unanswered uh, questions and uh, so many public uh, feedback as well. So, uh, people, you are in for a bumper show right here on Barakas Sahaba, uh, Voice of the Ahlu Sunnah. With me uh, in the studio, we have uh, Hafiz advocate uh, Firoz Bouda, who calls himself also the Atarwala King of uh, South Africa. And uh, together with him, our esteemed Yusuf Dokrat as well, both uh, seasoned attorneys and with a wealth of experience in uh, all different uh, disciplines of law. And Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed them both. And we continue making dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses them for the service of a deen. Yes, people, right here on Marqa Sahaba. So uh, to our esteemed guest, let me, uh, uh, you know, just give a brief uh, background of what has happened since uh, the ICJ ruling. So uh, we see now that after one complete week, there's absolutely no compliance from the Zionist apartheid Israel state with regards to the preliminary findings of the ICJ uh, case that South Africa brought against them. So uh, if any of our guests would like to comment, comment on that, please. What, what we know to be the latest is that South Africa wants the UN Security Council to outline whatever measures it is prepared to take to enforce the International Court of Justice's interim order against Israel. And uh, as uh, in order to sustain international pressure upon it. Uh, but we know, we know quite clearly from the terms of the order that the court, despite South Africa's request to it, to uh, demand a, a ceasefire, uh, did not order a ceasefire. Uh, and and uh, if you compare the order of the ICJ uh, made in Ukraine against Russia with the order of the ICJ made against Israel, it will immediately become apparent that there is no way on, uh, in which one can interpret the order against Israel to be a, a either implicitly, impliedly, or effectively a ceasefire order. It is certainly not reasonably capable of that construction. Israel was, is then given the right to carry on with impunity because as, as it is, it really begs the question, it says it is not committing genocide. It says it complies with international law and takes all sorts of measures to ensure uh, that uh, uh, civilians are not targeted. But then... You know, how it defines civilians and how it defines combatants is so broad that, uh, that nobody actually understands what they're saying in relation to it. Uh, and and as, we, as we discussed last week, Mutisab, the ICJ doesn't have a police force or a sheriff to enforce its orders. Its orders are made against countries as opposed to the ICC which, as I said, is a different institution which makes orders against individuals for warrants of arrest. ICJ makes orders against countries, and it is now for the United Nations Security Council to decide what it's going to do. Now, I've read some 
Uh, I mean, I'm not um, uh, I'm not a specialist in international law by any means. I've read some uh, academics arguing that it is not possible for America, uh, America to use its veto power uh, against a ruling which effectively prevents genocide. But what America is certainly going to do is to deny that any genocide is being committed and on that basis will exercise its veto power. And nobody is going to do anything about it and nobody is going to do anything to Israel about it. So, uh, and, and, and we just saw, uh, we just saw, uh, or we read also uh, in the latest news how these uh, Israeli, uh, Israeli cowards dressed up as civilians, went into a hospital and created a massacre there in the face of this ICJ order, captured on camera. They don't, they don't care about it. Uh, America doesn't care about it. It is a paperless tiger. Uh, and, and, and there is really no uh, no effective means of being enforced. I, I, I don't hold out any hope, but let's see. We can't predict what will happen in the UN Security Council. But at the moment, status quo prevails. Israel is doing whatever it wants to do. And, and uh, you know, uh, and, and it's carrying on with impunity uh, uh, to, to oppress the, the people. And, and, and the resistance will have to continue on that basis. So that's how I see that. Uh, Yusuf, so basically for, for, for dummies like myself, uh, I've seen a tweet, you know, that uh, the basic ruling consists of four things. Uh, number one, no ceasefire. Number two, uh, that uh, kill them slowly. Number three, of course, is to feed them uh, before you kill them. And uh, number four is you have another 30 days uh, to execute and to kill as you want to. So that is basically the ICJ ruling. And uh, just now, a few minutes ago, I read that uh, America said that it is plausible that uh, genocide was committed, but uh, they cannot stop supplying arms uh, to Israel. So how can something be plausible? Uh, and then at the same time, then uh, you make a decision uh, within the Senate that uh, you cannot stop arms from reaching uh, the apartheid state of Israel. How do you reconcile between uh, those two things? If, if I may just, just add uh, or, or try and answer your question, and, and, and it goes back to perhaps what we discussed a bit last week, and that is we have the interface of politics and law um, in, in a matter like this. And, and the worst of politics and probably the worst of law as well merge at the level of, of these institutions. So it's very difficult for anybody legal expert or non-legal expert to actually determine what is actually happening there. Because a large number of the statements one, one hears pretend to be legal discourse, but all they really are is, 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 is some kind of uh, <clears throat> political discourse pushing a political line. Um, and and we, must, we need to understand that in the end, what is taking place there is a dhulam, at the level of the Ummah and the ICJ or the ICC for that matter is not going to be able to do the job for the Ummah and if we entertain any belief that that we can sit back and allow these institutions to then save us as it were and I think we've been we've been hoodwinked and we need to be very careful about it and that is not to detract from the sincerity 
perhaps misguided sincerity of some individuals who 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 are excited about these things. I, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm criticizing anybody for for supporting any initiative of, of this nature. As we were saying last week, our focus is how do we as an ummah analyze what is taking place? They can have their own analysis. And and just before the program started, Hamla Firoz was just commenting and, and in the discussion, one of the things that emerged is the difference between our analysis and the analysis of Kufr, whether that Kufr is the political left or the political right, is that our analysis is through the prism of Wahi, of revelation. Their, their analysis is not. And if we, if we extract revelation, Wahi, Sharia from the analysis, we will never be able to achieve at an accurate understanding of what's taking place. And, and that really is, is, is what, what we want to discuss. As an Ummah, what is taking place there now, this ICJ initiative, it's a secularist initiative, it comes under the rule of law within the context of whatever the United Nations Charter is, and it's taking place and it will run its course. It may or may not achieve success in the way that they define success. Uh, we, we as the Ummah, we, we make dua firstly for, and we pray that Allah firstly protect the Ummah. I mean, gives several jamil to 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 all of the victims uh, who endure enormous pain and hardship, and and, and we, we we find solace in the fact that Allah has promised uh, the shuhada jannah, um, and and that keeps us going, and that's really the important thing because although we speak about uh, Firoz had mentioned it, and so I'm saying this to you now, but I'm actually using what he said to me was. We do count, there is a body count, but in China, it's a gender body count, isn't it? Okay. Uh, and, and, and we must never lose sight of it. And I'm not saying we, and please don't let, let's not, not be misunderstood. We don't, we, we, we can never condone the, 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 the spilling off of an iota of Muslim blood. But in our analysis of it, we must always remember that the relief has come to them from Allah, He's promised it, we must believe with certainty. What we've got to do is to believe with certainty that our function is to fight them and to fight them with every possible uh, every possible means within our armory we need to do. Whether, whether it's law or uh, the media or the kital or, or uh, lobbying, whatever it is, provided we're doing it to please Allah and in accordance with the Sunnah of the Prophet. Sallallahu Gee, uh, mashallah, you know that uh, I just want to add to that. Yes, uh, we have to fight them, and I don't shy away from these things. I've called for it openly. In fact, when the war started, I told Hamas exactly what to do and what to do with the hostages because it is a jihad, a warfare. But now people in South Africa, respected listeners on Marcus Saba, uh, they became so, so, so uh, elated and uh, some of them are even voting for Naledi Pandor to become the next president of South Africa. But you've mentioned something last week, and uh, you know, Allah sort of uh, exposed uh, the intention behind the South African delegation and why they went. And that is the question that was posed to the ICC chief, that uh, why did you issue a warrant of arrest for uh, Vladimir Putin 
but you failed to do the same for Netanyahu. So it's like a tit for tat, you know. You didn't issue one for, for him, but you issued one for one that we summoned and invited to our BRICS conference. And uh, that became a manifest uh, during the week. So uh, like you said, uh, the, the intention behind the whole thing is not to save the Ummah or the Palestinian cause, etc. It was merely to get back at uh, the supporters of uh, the Israeli apartheid state. Am I correct in uh, making an analysis like that? Yes, so Mujizab, I, I think we, we did cover this yesterday, right? I mean, uh, last week, sorry. Uh, I mean, uh, because uh, we've been involved in a number of initiatives against Israel from 2009, a number of them. Uh, the Gaza docket, where we, uh, uh, where we wanted to uh, obtain the arrest of Zappi Levni, there was a legal advisor, uh, uh, Benjamin, who came to South Africa, he had dual citizenship, as far as I remember. Uh, we, asked for, uh, we asked for him to be arrested because he gave a legal memo uh, saying that the Gaza invasion of 2009, the Gaza war operation Castlet was legitimate. You remember, they used white phosphorus gas there. And, they, and, 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 and I mean, I went to meet the doctors who came from Shifa Hospital and we got their videos. And there were literally babies who were burnt with white, white phosphorus gas, and he had he had been the one to uh, to say it was legitimate for Israel to use white phosphorus gas in a densely populated uh, area like Gaza. They did nothing. We gave over, over seventy uh, evidence of seventy IDFs, uh, local South Africans, from their own Facebook, where they had posted pictures of them serving in the military where they have indicated some of them who they killed, that they dropped into Gaza. They did absolutely nothing. Uh, uh, when when uh, Al-Aqsa was attacked in 2020, uh, we uh, issued a docket, nothing. When Shimon Perez and all of them came for uh, Nelson Mandela's funeral, we lost dockets against them, absolutely nothing. So, so our analysis comes from asking the question, why did they act at this point in time and did they act so strongly? And, and as I said, I mean, where principle and politics align, and that's the perfect way, the perfect time to act. So, yes, it's within, we can't say it's not something the ANC believes in. That They, they, they believe in human rights. They believe in multi, uh, multi, uh, multilateralism. They, they believe in promoting human rights throughout the world, uh, promoting peace, stability. I mean, this is the words of, of the president uh, in response to the ICJ ruling. He echoed all of their beliefs. And yes, th th those are beliefs that they hold. But, but politically, because these decisions uh, are often uh, politically motivated because of the international implications that they may have, because you are now cutting ties, breaking relationships, uh, uh, you know, and endangering travel, and endangering diplomatic relations, and endangering investment. All of those things have to be considered. So why why did they act when they acted? And so I think uh, uh, this was a perfect opportunity for them to act because uh, when 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 South Africa hosted the BRICS conference last year, uh, President Putin couldn't come because the ICC had issued a warrant of arrest against him and the ICJ had issued a ceasefire order against the war. 
So remember, I indicated that these two are different courts. ICJ issues orders against states. They don't issue arrests. ICC issues uh, a warrant of arrest for war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. So both of those courts issued issued orders against Vladimir Putin. And, 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 and the timing of this uh, and, and the urgency under which it was pushed at these two institutions suggests to me that that was, that, that BRICS, this was a heavily uh, BRICS-driven initiative, uh, and, and, and that was behind one of the fundamental reasons behind that motivation. There were obviously also local political advantages for the ANC to do that, because you remember Julius Malema came out very strongly and said that he believed that the, uh, that the attacks of, of Hamas uh, 7th June, right? 7th, 7, I'm sorry, 7 October attacks were an act of self-defense and they, had, they, they were engaged in legitimate armed struggle. We all saw that. We all heard that the clip of his, and it was a very strong statement that he made and, and, and everyone was saying, well, why is he coming out so strongly and the government has uh, been, been taking a weak position up to that point in time. So all of these, I think, merged together. There were local political advantages for t- taking this, there, were, there, there was an international political uh, uh, cause that BRICS were, were are following to try and discredit these institutions, to show their hypocrisy, uh, and, and also to protect uh, Vladimir Putin uh, as, as one of the uh, most powerful, obviously, obviously the most powerful member of BRICS. And, and they were also, and this also aligned with their principles. So I think all of that came together in this instance. Uh, to motivate them to take this strong step, but but as I said, Mosisap, when when we look at when we look at all of these things, I mean, I was just looking at an Al Jazeera article since the since the ruling of the uh, ICJ, Israel has murdered 936 uh, uh, Palestinians. They've attacked uh, two hospitals, uh, including the Al Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunus. Uh, they've attacked the health system, uh, and they've also attacked the Nusayret refugee camp in central Gaza, which came under fire in this week. So uh, from, from a practical point of view, Israel is carrying on doing what it has done. And, 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 and so there's really no mechanism available to enforce this order. But, but I think what is also now important is what Yusuf has said, Mustafa. We, we don't analyze these events from this perspective, from political advantages, from uh, from the promotion of human rights and all of those things. We understand that people have different beliefs than us, but we, we must analyze it from our perspective. And from our sp- perspective, I mean, uh, it, it is very clear. The Quran says, And there's another ayat also in Surah Baqarah. Uh, 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 Usab can translate the, those ayats for us. But, but, uh, but the effect of it is don't think of those who have died in the path of Allah as being dead. Now we have to, we have to, we have to let this verse come alive in our hearts. So when you look at, when you look at reports saying dead, and, and these people were murdered. Yes, from a from a from a worldly perspective, that is a correct analysis. Somebody has been murdered and somebody has died. But 
from from a broader uh, perspective, when 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 we analyze things as Muslims, we always look at it from a two worldly perspective: this world and the next world, because the next world is a reality for us. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has told us categorically that the shuhada are loving and they are receiving provision. And and one one report of one of the sisters, I don't know if Mufisa heard this. There was a mother who the child was running towards her. Uh, right, uh, and 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 she was killed in a in a, in a grenade or missile attack, and and, uh, uh, and 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 her mother was obviously uh, I mean full of despair as a result of this, but the mother narrated she had a dream at night where the child came in a dream and said to her, and this was in this this war, that it felt to be like a prick, and the next second I found myself when I was running in this world towards you, I was running in the gardens of Jannah. Allahu Akbar. So, so the child, the child is alive and running, <laughs> and it's with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and it's with the Ambiya, and it's with the angels, and he's in a better place. And we heard stories, many stories in every jihad. I've heard, uh, we've heard this Mufisab, in every jihad, we've heard stories of the scent of musk permeating from the bodies of the shuhada. Permeating from the bodies of the shuhada. How do you explain all of these things, which happened in the time of the Sahaba, and it happens in every single jihad where the shuhada, their bodies permeate with mass. It is a sign for us, a comfort for us, that 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 these are not from a from a worldly perspective. We say they have died, but yeah. from a from a religious perspective, we say no. They are alive and they are receiving provision in their Lord. Uh, from their Lord, and on that basis, we can justify the fight from to continue. It has to continue because Israel is going to murder. Whether Hamas says a ceasefire, no ceasefire, every day at a checkpoint they shoot a woman, they arrest a child. Uh, you remember uh, the journalist uh, Sharina Abu Akla? They yes. were protesting peacefully on the borders of Israel. They assassinated her for peaceful, peacefully protesting and reporting uh, all of the atrocities. So these are this is a murderous enterprise. These are the sons of Pharaoh. They use the same tactics as Pharaoh. They murder. They torture. They declare war. They divide and rule. They imprison. They exile. They do all of the same things. All of the same things were done to the Prophet Sallallahu They tried. They kill the Sahaba. They torture the Sahaba. They imprison the Sahaba. They impose economic sanctions on the Sahaba. They exile the Sahaba. Whether you fight and remember in the Meccan period, they did all of these things and the Prophet was not commanded to fight. Yeah. And they were, they were carry on. They were carry on doing it. So we have to analyze this from an Islamic perspective. And we have to take solace in, in the examples of, 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 our, uh, of the Prophet, of the companions. Uh, we have to take solace in the Hadith, in the Quranic verses. Now we're just looking, I was just uh, asking Yusuf and we just looked at it. Uh, and one of the things that, that astounds me is Surah Al-Buruj, because this was about, uh, uh, Musab can correct me, about the Fir'aun, or, or one of the pharaohs, I don't know if it was the same pharaoh uh, like Musa, where he would torture the believers, and, and he would burn them alive. And in the hadith it comes that when one of the mothers was asked to, to either give up her faith or jump into the spit of fire, a baby... Uh, the baby, the child, talked out to her and, 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 and sort of consoled her and said, Oh, mother, be patient. You are indeed upon the truth. And, I've, and I got this from, uh, from 
uh, you know, uh, uh, looking at uh, some of the hadith. And, and, and so this child, this child and his mother were tortured to death and asked to sacrifice their religion or else die and chose death and knew the truth that they were going to a better place and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to grant them Jannah and that they actually not dead. And we have to, we have to get this reality in our heart and we have to actually believe it in yeah. order to analyze what we want. No, 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 definitely not too much. You know, I, I can echo that uh, on the battlefield, the Sahaba, radiallahu they used to shout at the enemy, Qatlana fil Jannah wa Qatlakum fi Jahannam. That our killed, our deceased, our shuhada, they are in Jannah, and your people are roasted and toasted in the pits of Jahannam. So that is the Aqidah of the Ahlu Sunnah. That is our Aqidah. That is what we believe. And always uh, when there's jihad, you know, you'll find these amazing uh, heart-wrenching stories coming uh, from people suffering on the ground, uh, people seeing dreams, etc. So these are all gifts from Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I always tell the people that the busiest highway uh, on planet Earth today is the highway from Gaza to Jannah, because every day hundreds of shuhada are deported from uh, the grounds the soil of Gaza uh, straight into the Jannah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, that is what we believe if they're fighting for the cause and the sake of Allah and fighting the enemies so uh, yes uh, that is what we do we analyze it from a perspective from the uh, Sharia the Quran etc now uh, our esteemed guest that uh, what repercussions uh, will South Africa face for having taken uh, the Zionist uh, descendants of apes and pigs uh, to the ICJ, you know? Will there be economic sanctions? Will there be plotting, planning? Uh, what type of, of, of repercussions or ramifications uh, can we expect? Because remember that uh, we are dealing with scumbags. We are dealing with the lowest of the low. Uh, people who have complete disregard for life, for hospitals, for schools, etc. All these uh, type of villains that we have that side. And uh, uh, because they are backed by other superpowers like America, Australia, New Zealand, and uh, the same people who caused the Holocaust, uh, Germany as well. So when you have all these voices and armor and uh, weapons in support behind you, what can we as South Africans or the South African government expect? One, I don't have a crystal ball, and two, if I did, it would be haram. So. <laughs> 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 but, but I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's it's a very important question, uh, and it one it, it's one that doesn't admit of a, of a clear answer, other than to say, yes, we we expect uh, the state of Israel, given its history, given what it stands for, uh, to to try and do something to undermine who it considers to be uh, uh, opponents in its path. So, so we must expect that. Remembering that uh, that they called us monkeys and apes. Yes, yes, exactly. There appears already to be a kind of marketing war that's taking place. So, Musa may or may not have seen, uh, you know, seven suggestions that the the uh, legal bill for whoever represented the Southern government at uh, the ICJ. Uh, that bill was was paid for and funded by Iran. Uh, so, so, so there's there's that suggestion politically. Now, this is a political war playing out, and, and again, that's why Feroz's point is so important. It's this entire 
this entire issue takes place within the context not just of east-west politics but north-south politics. You have, you have the United Nations being a contested institution, its institutions being contested. You have, you have uh, uh, an imperialist power like the U.S. Uh, going through a period that it's probably hasn't seen in the last 30 or 40 years, where it's losing, where it's losing support, it, it's no longer uh, the beast that it thought it was. So, so there may be the last kicks of that dying horse. Uh, you have its historical alliance with Israel. How the U.S. understands South Africa's importance geopolitically, one doesn't know. So, so, so for example, I mean, we need to understand, you know, uh, is Israel controlling the U.S. or is the U.S. controlling Israel is the first oh. question. Where does, where, where does the influence lie there? If it's the U.S. that ultimately is the dominant force, you may find that the repercussions may not be as severe because Africa is a contested continent for the U.S. It seeks to uh, extend its sphere of influence. It's, it's battling the influence of, of Russia. It's battling the influence of China. It's battling the influence of India, of Turkey. There are all of those geopolitical questions that it needs to take care of. What Israel's own national agenda will be and whether the U.S. will be comfortable with it doing that, one doesn't know. But certainly at a media level, it will be war. And the reason it will be war is, and that's the nature of the media war, it's to undermine your opponents in any, any way possible. So, so the narrative that is emerging from Israel, uh, that appears to be emerging from Israel, and you'll always hear when they speak about it, when it gets reported in the mainstream media, it will simply say pundits or experts are saying there's no there's no source, there's no real tangible, uh, credible uh, source to, to 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 the news. But it's just it's just put out there so people can can digest it. So the the marketing is the following: Iran is actually funding it. Uh, therefore. South Africa is a puppet for Iran. We all know Iran is a terrorist state. I'm just just displaying out the, the, the... Therefore, Israel has the right to defend itself against an overall enemy like Iran. And so you have this narrative of the, uh, the, the kind of bellicose Iran uh, that's being used. Now, Mubisab, I'm not a fan of Iran. Yeah, no, no, yeah. neither of us are. <laughs> yes, we have great relation to Iran. So it also suits Iran. It also suits Iran to be thrown into the midst as the architect of everything that's taking place. Because amongst young people, everybody says, but it's only Iran that stands up against the U.S. It's only Iran that stands up against Israel. But that's nonsense. That's the biggest lie, and we know that. They're using their proxies, and they haven't fired a single missile towards uh, Israel or uh, the United Forces within the Red Sea or around so uh, that, that I can attest to, you know, they're the biggest cowards, gee. So, so, so we also have to be very careful again as in Umar, as, as we analyze this, we, we shouldn't be shepherded and herded into saying, oh, you see, they're attacking Iran, poor Iran. This is a political game that involves Iran too, trying to establish its dominance mm. and, and to establish its image as the true fighters of justice. So when you speak, when you hear the Iranians speak, they speak about uh, pissed, the, the justice, everything is justice. But it's, it's the, the Ahli Sunnah wal Jama'ah who are dying. It's the Ahli Sunnah wal Jama'ah who are being attacked. It's the Ahli Sunnah wal Jama'ah who are being, uh, being marauded on a daily basis. So we have to be careful that we don't fall into the 
pro-Iran. Nobody else is a Muslim in the world. It's only Iran. Because uh, that's a very dangerous area. There's an Aqeda dangerous area. That's geopolitically a very dangerous area. And the influence of Iran is going to be felt bigger and bigger. This is fertile ground. Because you have a world that on the face of it is anti-Israel. You have an Arab world on the face of it from Ahl-Sunnah who are, if they are not silent, appear to be actively complicit in, in, in the slaughtering of the Ummah. So you have a push towards, well, who's there? Who's left? And then you'll say, well, it's the savior Iran. Ah, it's the savior Hezbollah. Hmm. This, is, this is a very dangerous area to be in. And, and for us, we need to be very careful because elements within the political left are going to be pushing this on a daily basis. And Mufti, if, if this listeners can think through this as well, we must separate between the awam, the, the, the ruled in the Arab world and the rulers in the Arab world. Gee. The rulers themselves may be fusak, they may be whatever they are. And they are enemies and we must fight them. But we mustn't write off the rank and file Muslim in all of those countries. Because those are people that, why do we think that they don't want to do as much as we want to do? Uh, don't, so, so don't color the ummah with the brush of his rulers at the, uh, at the moment. And don't write off the Ahli Sunnah because of that. Uh, we, we, we have a, we have a, a very interesting situation arising around, uh, from that. And then Iran itself is actually the opposite. You have on the face of it a ruling party that's vociferously anti-imperialist. But you have an increasingly secularist society that wants to live like the U.S. Mm. You know? So, mm. so these, are, th- these are issues that as we sit here in the southern tip of, of Africa, um, we, need to, uh, we, we need to be very, very wary of, of naivety in the political analysis. And, and it will emerge with this up. You will see the Iranian agenda is going to be pushed in a very big way. Um, we appear to be losing connection. Just be one second. Gee. Yes, people, some gremlins are coming through. So normally when we speak about uh, the enemies of Islam, then there's always some problem with the connection in the line, as if they are tapping into our our connection. Gee, so, so it, it, seems, it seems to be sorted out. So, so again, I, I think what... what what we're saying is the Ummah must be reflective. Not everybody that on the face of it is fighting your enemy is actually your friend. And, and, and we, must not, we must not replace our reliance on the Nasr of Allah by relying on the allies of Kufr. I totally agree. If we do that, we do ourselves an enormous disservice, and we betray we betray the iman that we, we, we claim to have. And then, sorry, if I can just one last thing before Firoz then speaks about Iran's uh, position within BRICS as well, um, is what one hears, alhamdulillah, it's, it's actually remarkable, uh, of, of the numbers of people who uh, have apparently embraced Islam, having, having uh, witnessed the remarkable level, levels of, of, of sabr and, and, and iman displayed by our brothers and sisters uh, in Palestine, perhaps in other parts of the world. And 
And so that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But what we need to ask ourselves is actually, do we believe with certainty? I'm not talking about the Palestinians. Do we believe with certainty? Do we believe when Allah says that the Nasr will be there if you do X, Y, and Z? Do we believe when Allah says that I will, I will increase your numbers in the eyes of your enemies, you know? One of you can take 10, and one can take 20, whatever the position is, the, the ayat, uh, Adifun Musab knows, knows those ayat. Do we even know that those ayat are there? And the reason I'm saying that is, we agents within the ummah, perhaps because we politically dominated for the last 50 years, and particularly because of living in countries of kufr, we reduce our, our, our levels of Iman are reduced and replaced by levels of ritualism. And we become completely colonized in the sense that we truly don't believe that as an Ummah we can do anything. Uh, you know, we're the, we're, the equivalent, we're the equivalent of the United States uh, amongst the black community pre-Malik Shabazz, Malcolm X. Oh. We're the equivalent of black African community in South Africa pre-Stephen Biko. Um, we, we've lost our belief, but, the, but we are really culpable for that because we've lost our self-assurance, but we've lost our belief in the truth of the kalam of Allah, that we are the ummah that will succeed and we will inherit the earth and we must do what is expected of us. So when we're achieving, we attribute it to somebody else who have a conspiracy theory. Yes. If we're not achieving, it says, yeah, because we're useless. We, we, we must, one thing we must learn. You know, you know it's, it's so sad. It's so sad to see Muslims. You know, you'll hear, you'll hear Muslim people say, you know, I'd rather work for a Jew, you know. Um, I've heard it many, many times, many you know, times. Well, well, you know, they, they so, you'll hear people say, they're so united. You know, Muslims are divided. Where are you? Allah says in Quran, they're the most divided community. Yes. But we, we develop a cultural stupidity that is against the revelation that we churn out on a daily basis. So we must learn to believe, truly believe, that we are from the Ummah of the Prophet that the Kalam of Allah is true, everything that Allah says is true, everything that from the Wahi, from the Sunnah is true, and we must assert ourselves knowing that we have the Creator on our side. Yes. But if we run to the creation who reject the Creator, in order... To get the help of the Creator, what are we doing? Anyway, what's up? Uh, Gee, you know that, uh, but I just want to, to add to that. What is factual is uh, that Iran is busy with its own expansion uh, program, its territorial expansion, just like the Zionists uh, from Egypt to Constantinople. Iran is also uh, busy with the same thing. Number two, that uh, Dajjal will emerge from uh, Iran, from Isfahan, with a minimum of 70,000 Jews. Uh, that is factual. That comes in the Hadith, you know. Uh, they have only one known enemy, and uh, the enemy of Iran is always and has always been the Ahlus Sunnah, uh, while Jama'ah, since uh, time in memorial, uh, they've only only fought against uh, our people like uh, Bashar Assad is doing in, uh, in Sham, in Syria. Uh, that people need to understand that uh, they have no vested interest in uh, this uh, war happening in Palestine. Uh, they do not believe that Masjid al-Aqsa, where we go to, uh, is the actual Masjid al-Aqsa mentioned in the Quran. 
And uh, I'd like to add to that also that the jihad is not far upon uh, the Shia community until Imam Mahdi emerges. So this, this is all part of the Aqidah, and I don't think the public know these things. So that's why they won't uh, fire any, they'll fire Pakistanis, but they won't fire uh, any missiles at uh, Americans, etc. Now, what makes it even more difficult is you've spoken about Iran and uh, their funding, and uh, the chief rabbi of South Africa, of the deputy board of, of, of Jews, whatever you call them, that Goldstein, he made a 14-minute video, it's uh, being circulated on social media, and they openly accuse South Africa of being uh, puppets of, uh, of Hamas and uh, of Iran. And he also accused South African banks, NetBank and Standard Bank and other banks, of funding uh, Hamas at uh, this point, you know, and then made certain threats also, uh, saying that they are not uh, living in 1938, where they were slapped around by Hitler and uh, Hitler's proxies, etc., and they are stronger than ever before. They're ready to take on the world. So they are speaking in a tongue of a pro-jihadist, which uh, should have been on the tongue of every Muslim. Instead, uh, instead of that, uh, we are, uh, you know, we're taking, uh, taking a bit back. We are more relaxed now. Uh, we are hoping for a ceasefire so the saga can end and we can carry on with our lives. But these people are—they're they, they, opening up the intentions openly on uh, social media, and uh, yet we're scared to speak out. Uh, Advocate Feroz, would you like to, to to add to that, please? Gee, Gee Mufsab, uh, I think you asked a very important question: What could be the possible repercussions for South Africa having taken this case? So, so remember. Uh, the, the one positive thing that came out of the case, I mean, leave the interim order, I, don't, I think that was, that was really a piece of paper that, that can't really be enforced. It was more moral victory for them. But, but, but the, one, the one secular victory I think they, they scored in terms of a, a legal victory is uh, the, IC, the ICJ has said that there's a prima facie case of genocide, which means this, the genocide trial uh, and investigation has to start now. So, so the legal case has to continue uh, until it sees its, uh, 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 until it concludes one way or the other. And so, uh, Netanyahu and all of them are under investigation. So, so, so that that to that to talk to the future of the case. The case is not dead now because the court the court has to now pronounce on the ultimate merits of the case. So, so, so that uh, that has to factor in as to what the possible implications for South Africa. Are. But. But I think there's, there's two things I want to add to this. One, you must recall, uh, uh, Mufsab, from January of this year, BRICS includes Argentina, Egypt, Iran, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, and United Arab Emirates. Yeah. So these uh, are formerly UN, I mean, US allies, Egypt, Ethiopia, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, UAE, heavily, heavily pro-America, have now joined the BRICS. Uh, the, the BRICS coalition. Yes, Argentina so, declined. Argentina declined its acceptance, uh, so uh, they they they're out for now. Yes. Right. So 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 I mean, leave Argentina out. But I'm talking of so, and we got India there, we got Russia. So it's it's not going to be. Uh, if I think if if what uh, what we're saying is correct that this was a BRICS driven initiative, then I think the BRICS countries or the members of BRICS are going to have to rally together. And it becomes now a very complex issue of cutting ties, pressing for sanctions, and all of that. Uh, and because all of these countries have economic, military, and other ties and other vested interests in, so uh, so it, it, it becomes a very uh, uh, it's not a very easy thing. I think for uh, you know they can speak. There's going to be a media war. 
But what practical steps will be taken against South Africa, I don't know. We have one example, Mufti Saf. You'll recall when Israel attacked the Mavi Mamara. Yes. And there was a South African sister, uh, I think her name was Khadija Davids, a journalist on the Mavi Mamara. From Cape Town G. The aid ship, because uh, the MLA actually acted for uh, Sister Khadija. Uh, and and, and uh, we were also invited to attend the trial, because what happened there is a result of the attacks. We launched a case in South Africa. There was also a case launched internationally, but Turkey decided to prosecute Israel, the Israeli generals in Turkey. So they started a war crimes and murder charge in Turkey, and they started their trial. And, 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 and that trial continued. In fact, we were, uh, I was invited a few times to attend the trial with the sister. Uh, her, her testimony, I, I recall, was also given. Uh, and, 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 and so Turkey found itself in a similar position of having initiated this lawfare against Israel within its own domestic borders. And this was becoming a, a, a political hot potato between the two. Oh. And it was endangering diplomatic relations. So how did it ultimately end? Uh, uh, the Turkish government settled the case financially without the consent of the victims. Okay. Without the consent of the victims, they settled the case financially by saying you must pay, comp- uh, 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 Israel must pay compensation to the victims of the families of those massacred and others on the ship. And, and much to the consternation of the complainants, that deal was struck behind closed doors. And internationally, once a drill like that is struck, it's binding. There's nothing that the local court could do uh, because it was a diplomatic executive decision to carry on the case. So the case ended abruptly because of a settlement like that. And I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised in the coming months that some sort of deal is brokered behind the doors. Some sort of interim government is there. Some sort of peacekeeping force is there, and all of it is settled. And really, it's not, it's not going to bring Sharia law to the land. And our object is, look, Sharia law governed the land, it was taken away, and we have to fight until Sharia law is established on, uh, on the land. And so it's not, I don't think that the end result is going to be very favorable to, to the people. I think ultimately there probably will be some sort of a political settlement of this uh, diplomatic dispute because of the economic powers at play, the economic interests at play, exactly where Turkey found itself, because it's so tied up with Israel economically and politically, that, that one way or the other, the matter had to settle. Okay. So, so maybe that, that's how it will pan out. I don't know. We don't have a looking yeah. glass. Uh, I, I just said one more I mean, you're already hearing reports from Europe that they, some countries are looking at recognizing Palestine as a state. Uh, politically, that sounds a big thing, and, the, and they're speaking about the Palestinian Authority. So it's, it, it does seem, and one, one doesn't quite know, that they will have their own agenda in, in how they want to recognize the states. So they'd be pushing for a two-state solution. Uh, they'd probably be pushing for a secular Palestinian state run by an organization such as the PLO, which, which is completely useless, you know, they only exist in name and they're not as militant as the people of uh, Gaza because uh, during every last attack when Al-Aqsa was under uh, attack, you know, it wasn't the PLA that they responded, it was uh, rockets coming all the way from Gaza to defend Al-Aqsa. Yes, you, you see the thing that scares them the most, Mufti, is what they call the political vacuum. They don't want areas where there's a fight for power. Oh. 
because the uncontrolled outcomes in their minds. And they don't, they clearly don't want uh, any government that is, is based in Sharia because they're enemies of Allah. And that is what we have to fight for, uh, Yusuf. We have to fight for the establishment of uh, Sharia, which brings me to this important point that uh, after, uh, you know, this could have been years and decades of planning uh, back here on local shores uh, in the Western Cape uh, and, and soon to be most probably a Zionist colony. And out of all the provinces in South Africa, they've chosen the Western Cape, which has the largest amount of Muslims in uh, South Africa, you know. So we have something that uh, is called the power bill that the DA is fighting for. So we know the DA are pro-Zionists, they are Zionists. And that is uh, separating from a national authority, from the ruling party and having their own little independent state. And uh, that's right here in Cape Town where you find majority of the Cape Townian people. They're very militant at heart and very, very spirited people. But uh, I think that uh, we're facing a possible return to a, a, a mini apartheid state right here in South Africa. My concern and the concern of the listeners uh, are basically that if uh, they get it right here, the Zionists and all those who ran away from Israel and came to settle here now because of the war, if uh, this happens in, uh, in the Western Cape, it most probably will uh, spread out to rest uh, to the rest of South Africa. So, any any thoughts, input regarding this uh, stupid uh, power bill? I see the ANC disrupted it. Uh, they had hearings uh, day before yesterday, and uh, the ANC uh, went in physically and uh, disrupted this bill. So, 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 uh, what, what what advice could you give the Muslims here in uh, the Western Cape? Uh, you know, I can think of uh, examples like uh, establishing uh, our own uh, Sharia courts and uh, hijra camps, etc., prepping the people uh, for the ultimate inevitable and it is having to push back and fight back, stuff like that, you know? So, Mufti, so, so, I mean, it's an important point, you know, uh, and I just want to expand upon what I was saying about becoming decolonized and asserting ourselves. We need to locate ourselves as part of, it, of an international world. And, and, and our identity is very important, but, but it's not a cultural identity. Mm. It's an identity that must infuse our thoughts, our actions, our, our, our views, and our conduct. And so we need to assert, uh, we can't only want Islamic banking uh, and, and be okay that we're wallowing in kufr. We, we can't. What are we mad? Mm. You know, who is fooling? We, we, need, we must... If you take if you take these life coaches who ask you to dream big and to map out your future and think and you know dream and work towards what what is your dream is in ummah oh. is your dream is in ummah to live under under kufr as long as the kufr gives you your little space is that your dream if that's your dream wake up go to sleep again and change the dream. <laughs> the dream must, must be to establish the law of Allah on the end and to be honored to live under that law and, and to push for it because we must believe in its inherent justice now that's not a pipe dream that's not a pipe dream it existed in the greatest of times we saw it in the time of the Prophet we saw it in the time of the, of the Khulafaya Rashidin we saw it in the times of the Khilafat and, and yes Nothing is perfect. There'll be there'll be issues, uh, governance issues, so on and so forth. But provided we are, we have this desire to live under the beauty and the justice of Islam. We've got the correct dream. No system, whether it's a constitutional democracy based on a bill of rights, whether it's 
uh, uh, the system of the tyrants, whether it's the, the, the Zionists, no system other than the system of Islam can ever bring justice to the world. Now, if we don't believe that, what, what dawah are we giving people? If we don't believe that we have the truth, what dawah can we give the people? So every attempt that we, every opportunity we have to assert the identity, to move towards that realization of, of a world that is a world under, under the shade of, uh, of Islam, we must be a part of. And we may not see it in our lifetime. No, there was a, there used to be, whether, whether it's folklore or, or true, I can't tell you, but I, I remember hearing a story about a Mujahid in Afghanistan and, and, and a journalist seeing him, a sniper on the tree. Uh, and, and his job was, was to sit on that tree, on that branch for hours in a day. And he was asked, he was asked, so do you think you win? And he said, yes. And they said, so when? He said, well, he doesn't know. Maybe my, his answer was maybe my lifetime, maybe my children, maybe my grandchildren. Mm. But, he, but he understood that that goal was worth fighting for now. And we seem to, we, we have become so impatient with establishing the law of Allah that we feel if we don't do it in two years, we failed. Mm. It's, it's, it's brick by brick, Salahuddin Ayyubi, uh, I, I know Mufti Sahib, you've been doing some talks on Salahuddin Ayyubi, this was a, a, this was a life, uh, a, a life's effort. Gee, it started before he became, uh, before he became the leader of, of, of his people. Uh, he had that vision already, you know, many people don't know that. They think that uh, his plan and his mission started uh, when he was appointed as chief. It started at a very, very young age. And, and what? And so, Mufti, we have unfortunately elements within the Muslim community who want to actively discourage that vision. They tell you you're impractical, you're radical, you're a madman. Mm. I get that a lot, Yusuf. Uh, I, I, you know, I, they, they they say it in my face nowadays, and uh, they want us to conform uh, to democracy and open up an Islamic party and all uh, these uh, fancy ideas. You know, I just have one question: Then, when will we be able to establish Sharia law, Sharia courts, uh, the Deen of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? So, but they fail to answer that. You know, uh, normally they just say that if you're not happier. Then uh, make Hijrah to a Muslim country. But the entire earth belongs to Allah, and Allah's deen needs to be established in every corner, every province, every city. It's not a, uh, a place that, that is mapped out uh, like the Middle East or Makkah or Medina. I'm sure that uh, the, the listeners would agree here yeah, on Marqa Sahaba that Allah's law should be established in every corner of the globe. G. What's crazy about it? What's crazy about these Muslim apologists? Uh, and, and I don't mean to be nasty to any any particular individual but what's crazy about their mindset is they live in a society where the communists can dream about communism they can have their own party with pink shirts red shirts whatever shirts do x y and z uh, speak about their dream the feminists can do that the, the gays and the lesbians can do that mm. uh, the socialists can do that the capitalists can do that everybody can do it the only people who can't do it are the muslims mm. Even the Yahud can do it. Yeah, even the Yahud can do it. And they're doing it openly. Openly they're doing it. If you're a Muslim and you say, I actually would love to live in the Sharia, people run away like, like, like you. I don't know. <laughs> now, I, I'm seeing, you see, the same people will, 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 will tell you, that, will, will use it for their kids' speeches at school. Um, that chap in North America, I forget his name now, I have a dream. 
Um, Martin Luther King. Yes, Mr. King. No, they love Martin Luther King's dream about little black children, the black children and white children walking hand in hand. They can understand their dream in the 1960s, but they can't understand the dream of a of a member of the Ummah in 2024 saying, "I dream to live under the law of Allah." And how can you not want that? And and that is uh, very, very, very sad, you know. I, I would just like to conclude with something that amidst all of this chaos and, uh, and anarchy happening in the world here, and then we still find our our scholars of the state. I've mentioned this in my Juma today. You, you know, you get different type of scholars, scholars of religion, scholars of the state, uh, sending out posters encouraging people. It's the final uh, vote uh, registration or voter registration weekend. And uh, if you do not vote, uh, then you are happy with the current situation. But aren't the same voters responsible for what we are in today? And I'd like to, uh, the listeners to, to think about that, you know, the Bella Bill uh, and uh, the Divorce Act and all these other funny things. Uh, it came from the mouth or the mouth of these same called uh, ulama. Uh, I saw one post of Uqsa coming out. Uh, no Bismillah, no name of Allah, no eye of Quran, no Hadith, encouraging the people and then uh, the embassy following suit. So uh, this is what's happening. Whilst everything else is happening in Gaza, the people are fighting. Whilst we were supposed to establish Allah's law and uh, Sharia, they are encouraging people to participate in uh, the upcoming elections. So uh, that will put us, uh, you know, uh, on the back foot for another decade we were supposed to push forward the zionists are doing that establishing the western cape as a zionist colony so when will we eventually uh, start uh, doing that uh, you know that uh, to my esteemed uh, two uh, uh, attorneys at law that uh, always welcome uh, to discuss uh, these things and uh, you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you because you are not afraid to speak out and uh, what we can conclude from this and you can correct me is that uh, the time for jihad is drawing near it will either be jihad or it will be hijra so it doesn't matter where you find yourself in the globe today if you are listening to this that uh, the preparation for that started already all guns are out and pointed towards the ummah of rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that uh, any uh, parting words we have about two minutes two three minutes uh, before we conclude inshallah that uh hafiz firoz boda that i'll start with you g uh, I mean, if I can just conclude with this, I mean, if you look at uh, the Palestinian struggle, and you'll see if you if you analyze who goes to marches, uh, you will find uh, secularists uh, who don't believe in Allah going to marches, Muslims, people of different faith. Uh, uh, you'll find a large representation of the gay lobby because they believe that the Palestinian struggle is an intersectional struggle for human rights and all of that. Uh, now, now they all have one common enemy in a sense because they're all fighting, in a sense, uh, the Israeli oppression. Although the definition of oppression is very different, mm. but 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 uh, but often I think people lose the argument by only by only asking the question: Well, what are you fighting against? Well, we know we're fighting against the thulum mm. of, of of the state. Uh, but but the, the real question is: What are you fighting for? Why are you attending a march? Why are you, if you decide you feel voting is legitimate, and I'm sure we'll have programs on that separately, uh, why are you exercising that? What, what are you trying to achieve? And, 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 and really, if you're going to do anything in the Muslim, anything in terms of uh, standing up, and, and, and we said yesterday, I mean, we have to fight on all fronts. We have to fight the real war, the, 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 the media war, 
you have to fight the legal battles, you have to fight in your workplace. Everywhere you fight, you have to stand up, you stand up. But why are you standing up? What are you fighting for? And here we go back to the Book of Allah. And there's only two reasons you can stand up, which are recognized in the Book of Allah. الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا يُقَاتِلُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا يُقَاتِلُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ الطَّوْفِ Either fighting for the establishment of the law of Allah, for Allah, or you're fighting for anything that opposes it, which may be democracy, secular human rights, two-state solution, one-state solution, all of it, all of it is irrelevant and is not rewardable if your ultimate intention is not to establish the law of Allah and your ultimate intention is not to please Allah. And that must be your dream and your goal. And how can we be despondent and think this is impossible when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of the earth, is the all-powerful, and he says, We alternate the days. So yes, day up, we down. Tomorrow we can be up and down. But we don't fight for results. We fight for Allah. We fight to please Allah. And so whatever position the, the listeners take, Whatever they're debating, refer it back to, to the Qur'an and to the Sunnah of the Messenger. And if you're unsure, you, you go to your trusted scholars and you get guidance from them. But make sure what you do is in accordance with your deen. And that, that is, I think, the ultimate message that I would like to leave the listeners. I'll leave uh, Yusuf to uh, uh, take the parting shots, uh, Mufti Sahib. Gee, because... Uh, Yes, sir, we have a few seconds, you know, we're over our time, but nevertheless, uh, Yusuf, any uh, final comments that you'd like to add? No, not, nothing to add, I just want to echo uh, what Feroz is saying, that is, don't despair, Ummah. Uh, from the Ummah, the Prophet Allah is with us. We just have to do our part, and, and we must never despair, because, because in despair uh, is the whisper of Shaitan. Uh, and so, so we, need to, we, need, we need to encourage each other towards the good, to be strong, to fight. We need to keep doing that with each other. But, but we must not go outside of the, this ummah and think that we will, we're going to get the Nasr of Allah to Jazakumullah khairan to our esteemed uh, guest right here on Amarka Sahaba, voice of uh, the Ahlu Sunnah, where we say it, how it is. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide and protect them. And you, our respected, esteemed listeners, inshallah, that uh, we'll be back next week and Friday. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide all of you. Jazakumullah khairan. With me, your host, Ibrahim Swad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuhu.